Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers. Hi, welcome to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithworks, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash faithworks, or just click the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast, thank you. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women just like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their neighborhood. Now, I'm Paul Watson, and I'm here with Rebecca Ewing, and we have a special guest with us, a friend of CDM and a board member, Michael Dorsett. Michael Dorsett is a pastor down in Liberty, Texas at Cornerstone Church, and we brought him on the show today so that we could have a conversation about pastors and talking with pastors about disciple-making and disciple-making movements. You know, and first off, Michael, you know, uh, what I, what is so interesting about our journey with you is that we first started with, with coaching you and with, and just getting, you know, started with learning what DMM is and, you know, how that can be integrated into your church life and things like that. So we started there, but then over the journey of, you know, us, uh, do you know coaching and then also developing friendship and you know and and many inside jokes along the way eventually <laughs> it got to be to where uh now just recently you traveled with Paul to go and speak to other church leaders and pastors in San Diego and so you know now you've come to a place where it's like hey I first discovered disciple making and now it's I'm starting to help other people other church leaders understand this and be a part of that and for us that's that's you know a joy um to be able to have that that develop that friendship and partnership develop but I want to I want now that I think about so first off you know you were saying at the beginning when you're first looking at disciple making movement what were some of the things for you that um just really cut what was your first interaction with it what were some of the things that grabbed you what were some of the things that you had a hard time with yeah what was some of the maybe the even the journey to that place because that could help us understand with how you're how you were grappling with things so i think my journey was was born sort of out of frustration with what i what i'd been doing my whole time and in ministry, I, you know, my story is, you know, without going into full detail, I, I've, I I got saved. And basically the same day I got saved, I felt like I was called into ministry. So mm-hmm. um, I started right away, you know, what I was saved out of, I just, I wanted everyone to, to experience God and know God and um, know about his grace and love and, and how he could change your life. So I started on that journey way back in 2004. And uh, by 2015 or 16, I had just seen so many things. You know, I'd seen the, I've seen God move. I've seen people get saved. I've seen people be healed, all sorts of things. But one frustration I found, because I, I also travel the world, um, it's part of what I do at the church is we, I'm over our missions program. One of the things that I was seeing, it, both at my local church and as I traveled the world, was like, 
hey, where was that guy from last year that, you know, got healed or came up and raised his hand and gave his life to Christ? Where, where's he at? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And both in my local church and, you know, in places I'd go, oh, well, we haven't seen him in, you know, however long, six weeks or so. Yeah. And I just really became frustrated because what I was reading in the scripture, particularly in the book of Acts, that's not, that wasn't the case when, mm-hmm. when, when the book of Acts took off, people were, you know, 3000 are added to the church and then the church is spreading and growing. And so in that frustration, I begin to say, well, there has to be something I'm not doing because I know it's not on God's end. So, mm-hmm. um, I was talking with a friend who uh, was on staff at Antioch church in Waco, Texas. And, um, he said, oh man, you know, your answers are in this book, Contagious Disciple Making. And uh, so, you know, I love to read. It's uh, that That's like right up my alley. I have a book problem, you know. Wait a minute, texting, he <laughs> likes to read? What yeah, else? You know, hey, there's some anomalies. Hey, there's some anomalies I'm, a Texan, I'm a Texan too. You have, you've got two thirds of this room that love to read and are from Texas. <laughs> don't well, let, the, was, don't let the cowboy said, hat fool you. What was it that we right. said yesterday, Michael? It's like, if I want... Uh, if I want opinion, I could go to Texans. Now thoughts, that's, that's right. different. <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. You kill me. So, so you I got, the, you, could, yeah. you got the contagious disciple making and you started to read it. I started reading it. And for me, I was like, yes, this, this is the answers I'm looking for because what I needed was to move past, uh, you know, seeing, okay, I'm, I know I'm called two things, the great commandment to love God with all my heart and the great commission, the, the GC square thing, which I picked up from you guys. Uh, but I knew that like, I, I got to do those things, but I'm, I'm just, people are falling through the cracks, you know, and, and yeah. I don't, I don't mean to say that I haven't seen lasting fruit in all these years. I just thought, man, if the great commission is going to be fulfilled, we got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And when I picked the book up, I was like, whoa, here's, here's, these guys are onto something. Um, being the, and I'll be just be honest, being the good charismatic Pentecostal I am, you know, seeing (laughs) 80,000 churches and 2 million people bad. Whoa. You know, (laughs) sign me up. (laughs) But yeah, sign me up, you know? Um, but I will say this, if you're, if you're picking the book up and you aren't convinced that what you're doing needs some some shifts Hmm. um you can get lost in some of the 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 book where it starts talking about the theory behind disciple making movements Mm -hmm. um for me it was an answer so i would say this the book is helpful but what happened was um i read the book and i was like oh this is great but man how am i gonna do this (laughs) 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 i see here's the answers you know you know, in education, I think they call that transitional space, you know, uh, right. where, okay, I'm, I'm, I believe something over here and I found this is the right way I need to do it. But that space in between of actually making it a part of my life was kind of swirly. So I bought a podcast or a webinar off Contagious Disciple Making's website. And then Paul Watson emailed me and, you know, I thought it was so cool that the, an author of the book, a, a book was emailing me. Um <laughs> So we we, we had a call that was four or five years ago, I think. Yeah. uh, uh, Started coaching and, and really the coaching process was Mm -hmm. what helped 
get everything out of my head into uh, a structure that helped us take next steps and move forward. Right, right. Awesome. So, all right. Now that you are starting to talk to other pastors about this type of stuff, and and Paul, you also um, are doing this kind of like, I did this like a team this past time. So, you know, drawing from some of those experiences, as well as probably what you're you're thinking as maybe you would continue (laughs) doing with this. What are, you know, what are some of the things that you, you just wish that that pastors knew about DMM and about have having people in their church do this? Like, what is, what is the thing that you're like, you're going to walk up to a pastor and you're going to share with him, you know, this is what he needs to know what, or this is what I want to say to him. What are some of those things? I think for me, the the immediate thing that comes to mind is um, I, I really feel most pastors hearts is to, see Christ be formed in, in their, their parishioners or their, their congregations. And um, I think in most pastors' hearts, too, they're wanting the people to, to take what um, they're being taught and, and go run with it. Mm-hmm. And I think with disciple-making movements um, or, or DMM, it really helps get your people to start running with what the scripture says to do because it gives them a next steps uh, because, you know, listen, I don't know how many sermons I've preached over 15 or 20 years, but Mm -hmm. the statistics are pretty clear. Like if you don't do something within the first two days of hearing a sermon, you forget most of it, you know? So um, for me, as I dug into this and got into this and started seeing, Oh, look, it's one thing for me to, uh, be just a teacher. Um, it's a whole nother thing to show, which I think is what disciple making is, is, um, it's not, you know, I don't, there's that meme that's floating around of Jesus where he says, Hey guys, you know, I'm, I'm picking my 12 disciples and they're all sitting in desk. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's not what, that's yeah. not what you actually pick up in scripture. When you, when you read the scripture, you see Jesus, um, pick those 12 men, live with them, walk with them. And uh, I think there's a challenge for anybody. It's like, okay, I'm seeing this, I'm doing this, but how do I teach others to obey what they're reading? So for me, DMM has been pivotal in that process because not only disciple making, but just anything in the Bible that, oh, I need to make a change in my life. it, It builds that, that obedience DNA in the disciples as they, as they move and grow in Christ. Yeah. Going off of what you were saying earlier about the transitional space between hearing something and actually putting it into practice, that disciple making movements fills in that gaps. It's like, imagine, you know, those old timey movies with the railway train coming up to the ravine and you've got the, the tracks stop at the edge of the ravine and they haven't been built across it. And, uh, and so you're running that direction. What disciple making movements does is it builds that bridge across that ravine of knowledge and put and putting it into practice so that your people can actually be successful and not be not experienced 
experience that that frustration. You know, I think going off of this idea, Rebecca, of what do we want pastors to know? What I would love pastors to know as a disciple making practitioner is that I want them to know that we're not about blowing up their church and we don't think that what they're doing is wrong and anti what the Bible teaches. I really I mean, that's just I come up to pastors who have met uh people who approach movement from a place of frustration as a, as opposed to a, a place of wanting to do what God's placed in their heart. And that frustration bleeds over and blames everyone else for that frustration. And I feel that the church the gets the brunt of that pastors as leaders in the church, get the brunt of that. And I just, I would love for them to know that that's not what we're about. Uh, we believe that the church is the body of Christ, and we want to see the body of Christ doing what it was created to do even better. And that when it's functioning the way that, that God wants it to, we can see disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and, uh, and, and we can see the communities transformed and churches as equipping hubs inside those communities to help people become disciple makers. And so for me, that's a big topic. I, whenever I'm talking around pastors who've been exposed to movement, it's usually one of the first things that I have to address uh, there in the room yeah, is just I, making sure they know that I don't think they're bad or wrong or their church is bad or wrong. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is It's not that we're not going to say that there's some things that need to change, and that there's some things that we're not doing. So, so we don't want to say in this, this segment that church is perfect. There's no need to change whatsoever. You know, you're doing awesome, you know, and everything. But at the same time, you know, there's a difference between that and saying your church is essentially in its very existence in the way. And right. so therefore it needs to be blown up. And I think you guys um, have already been having talk, having to have talks with pastors and people who that has been told them and it's turned them off to even talking about disciple making movements and everything. So <clears throat> what were some of the things, you know, maybe Michael and Paul that you shared with some pastors that got exposed to that kind of, you know, um, that kind of theory, that kind of mentality and how did you help them see past that? Well, I can jump in real quick while, while Michael's taking some time to kind of think through that. And I, uh, because one comes straight to mind is I just talk about how CDM began. And that when I was talking to the Lord about founding CDM, uh, one of the things that he said very strongly to me was that um, I was to work with, not, not but solely, but I was to work with local bodies of Christ to see and to catalyze movement. And they were allies and partners in the process and not obstacles that needed to be overcome. And so when I tell that story of CDM's founding, and that was something that the Lord spoke to me, and when I, when I back it up with how we teach and all the podcasts that people have listened to and everything, then that gives that credibility. And the pastor goes, you know, usually sits back a little bit and is like, okay, this is different from what I thought. Now I'm in a place where I'm 
intrigued, I will say, intrigued by what you might say. Now, they're at that point, they're not bought in, but at least at that point, they're going, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. And this isn't just another meeting where you're telling me that I'm wrong. And you've got to recognize it about pastors. Pastors get told that they're wrong all of the time. I mean, you have people in your congregation, in their congregations who are handing them books saying, pastor, if we just did this, God, it would blow up and we would be just fine and everything would be great. Or they say this and they, they tell you this, or they critique the sermon this way and, and they do this this way. And so pastors face that all the time and it develops a, a, some, some understandable uh, shields in place against strangers doing a thing because they have to accept it from the people that are in the church in a way. But, you know, why should they have to accept it from a stranger they don't even know? So, so how about you, Michael, have you been, you know, as you've been approaching some of this concept of you have to blow up your church in order to be able to do that? First off, what is your reaction to that as a pastor? And then two, how have you been sharing with other pastors that have, that's what they've heard when it comes to, to movement? I think it's been kind of a recent thing for me in the, the disciple making movement world to find out that there's people actually telling pastors, you need to blow your church up. I mean, cause my thought is like, man, you must really want to fail in making disciples. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, cause um, the, the, the truth is uh, we need the body of Christ. We, we, want to reach the lost, we have a mandate to bring the gospel and reach the lost. But the Lord loves his bride. The Lord loves his people. And I think there's a common, you know, one of the things I've been seeing over and over just in my own personal time with God of re-seeing the, the John 13 of um, it's not just me and Jesus, but it's me and his bride, his community. And um, I think the idea of going and telling the pastor, hey, you just need to blow up everything you're doing is it's like you might as well just went and cut his ears off because he's going to stop listening mm-hmm. um rather uh one of the things i really liked that i picked up from paul uh, when we were on the trip in san diego was explaining it of yes there's things you need to shift in your church but it's more like a chiropractor instead of a surgeon mm-hmm. you know let's just make these little adjustments and uh but one of the things i share with you know, with you guys, uh, when I was there in San Diego and also just talking to pastors is like, look, I know God's called you to do specific things. No one's asking you to stop doing those, um, keep doing those things. But we also have a mandate. Everyone has a mandate to make disciples and what we're called to do as ministers, as pastors, it's clear in, in Ephesians four is to train the body for the work of the ministry. So we have a, how, how do we do what God's called us to do, but also how do we train others? And um, for, for me as a pastor, I'm like, well, I want to be the most effective I can because I'm just one. Mm-hmm. And what I need is, you know, if I had 50 of me uh, without saying, sounding too prideful, I would, <laughs> I would be too, I would be better off. Now, what I really need is just 50 committed people. (laughs) But how do I instill in people this, uh, this obedience based discipleship, which I think is important 
when you're talking to pastors to establish up front a definition of discipleship because yeah um you know if you line up 100 pastors in a room you're going to get 101 different mm-hmm. views isn't that the truth <laughs> discipleship well, so we were we were visiting with that one church uh and they were telling us that the that uh, their leaders were trying to come down to a definition of disciple making or discipleship or mm-hmm. being a disciple and after 2 days of conversations they ended up having to table it because uh, they couldn't come to an agreement. So to your point that that's, that's definitely something that happens even even within churches themselves. Yeah. And again, I think when you're dealing with pastors, the, the issue is, Hey, listen, I'm not here to tell you you've done everything wrong for the past 30 years or blow your church up. I'm just here to help a brother, sister in Christ fulfill the great commission. And mm. here's some things we've done that we've seen work. And uh, I think it could help your church too. And, and you're going to have little nuances that you do um, within your own framework. Like, as you guys know, we, we have our, our prayer sets. Um, and, and I brought this up quite frequently when I was in San Diego, like, look, we're still doing these prayer sets that we feel called to do. Um, we haven't stopped that. But this, this, you know, stream of disciple making has come out of that. Like, okay, but we also have to make disciples. So how do we do everything God's called us to do and be obedient ourselves? So I'm not asking you to blow up your church. I'm just asking you, hey, listen, do you want to be successful in making disciples? Here's how we can help. And the, and the thing is what I, I think from what I'm hearing out of you guys uh, and to be able to summarize is that it works so much better coming or it's so much more entreatable coming to people who genuinely want to do good with an open hand instead of a big stick to beat them with, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, you're, we're, you're doing it all wrong, you know, trying, you know, being versus an open hand. It's let's do this. Let's do this together. And let me share with you something that I've been able to find. And, you know, and and that's really a big difference between, again, from collecting from what you guys are saying is that it's not that we're saying that things don't need to change and that, you know, with, you know, CDM, that's part of the reason why we're here is to help see that change. It's just, there's a difference between saying, Hey, let me help you. You know, your church needs to blow up because everything about it's wrong. It's got to get completely out of the way versus how can we shift so that we can do what we're supposed to do more effectively and really on tack of what it's supposed to do in the first place. Yeah. And I think that a part of that is to not minimize the struggles that leadership and pastors in churches face. Mm. You, when they, so when we start coaching pastors, sometimes they'll come to me and they go, you know, I spend however much time every week planning my sermon. And I'm the only one that preaches in my church and I don't have time to be around lost people. So rather than sitting there and saying, that's terrible, you shouldn't do that. You're wrong. You're, you know, I don't do any of that. I go, Oh, okay. Well, can I, you know, I've been on several preaching teams and various things. I've learned a lot about preaching you know, would you like to talk about some things that maybe we can begin putting in place in your church so that you're, we could free up one or two Sundays every six to eight weeks so that you can have that time of prep 
to be more focused maybe on, on connecting with the lost yourself. And so it's not minimizing their struggles or saying, well, you just need to fix that or whatever. It's coming in and being at that place and going, oh, yeah, I can see how that's a big deal. And I want to meet you there. And that, that leads me to another point is that I don't ever, I've been doing this personally for two decades now. And, and I, you know, before that I, you know, traveled around with my dad and I got to see, and, and was basically trained before that by my father and got to be a part of trainings and stuff. So I've been doing this a long time, which makes me an expert, but I don't ever approach that room with this attitude of, I know everything. I approach it from a, from a um, perspective of, I know a lot, God has given me a lot of experience but the person in front of me is facing a very unique situation and they're a unique person. And my job is to come alongside them like a brother, not to talk down to them like an expert. And so I see myself as being part of the solution of being Barnabas walking with, with Paul and saying, how can we help you do the thing that God has put in your heart? And I think that that attitude is huge. Um, and, and it's, I think it's a right attitude to have understanding that the only things I've received have been received from God directing my paths, not so that I can be exalted or, or, or that I could have a name, but instead so that what he has given me can be used to exalt himself by helping my brother or my sister. And I think that that's, that's a huge attitude shift that needs to happen inside of, uh, of a DMM proponent or a trainer or something like that if they want to be successful in working with pastors and churches. One, you know, thinking about the topic of how to be able to connect with past, what are some positive ways to connect with pastors and help overcome barriers and stuff. Again, Michael, you and, and Paul, you know, have been meeting with some pastors. Um, I remember you talking during uh, your time over there about how one has to be careful with meeting with the pastor because the automatic thought is, okay, what do you want from me? Yeah. You know, what are you trying to sell me? You know, what are you trying, <laughs> what's the catch, you know, here? And so, you know, first off, explain a little bit of that, that mindset where that's coming from and then like how to be able to, what are some ways that, one can be able to not fall into that. Yeah. Well, what got me on that, that line of thinking was, um, you know, being the missions pastor, I get emails, I get calls, I get people coming, Hey, I want to come tell you what God's called me to do in Burkina Faso or, or wherever. And I, I know that that meeting is not going to be relational. It's going to be transactional. Mm. Mm. And uh, what I mean by that is, look, and, and I get it. I understand, like, you know, you, you have to live when you move to the mission field. I, I'm not against that. I'm just saying, but, mm -hmm. but when you call me out of the blue and like, oh, well, I want to come talk to you about Burkina Faso. I know what you're really coming to talk to me about is <laughs> you need funding, which I, I get. But I have very rarely supported someone that cold calls me like that mm, mm -hmm. just very rarely what i have done though is supported missionaries that i meet somewhere we just were meeting for a coffee or whatever and we just started talking about what god was doing in their life and then 
they tell me they're a missionary or they're going to be a missionary. And we relationally start talking and then it's not transactional. And I think uh, what we did when we were in San Diego was that. I mean, we were there for a specific purpose that, that mm-hmm. week and it's to meet with pastors. But you guys had already did groundwork of, hey, John Cook, you know, like, you know, meeting these guys and knowing their names and stuff like that. And we, now we did meet some pastors for the first time and we really, hey, tell us about what you've been doing here at the church, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, number one, we, we were never there asking them for money. Like there was, right. there was none of that going on, but at the same time, pastors who are meeting people for the first time that are doing any kind of organization that's not another local church are thinking, what do you want from me? It's, right. it, and, I, and I also get that from the sales world because I came out of the sales world. Um, and if we're not careful, then it does become a transactional thing. And, and that never works with pastors because we're relational. We want to be relational. Our very nature as a pastor is to be relational because there's so we're not just preachers. Like we care about people's lives and want to see them successful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that relational and there's, and there's some cultures even that are more, that are even more relational in nature. So when you're dealing with uh, a, in a city and you're dealing with perhaps a pastor who um, is still very much Korean in their thinking or, or more um, from a Latino background in their thinking, that their culture has wired them to be more relational as well than somebody who like, is like me, who grew up in urban settings their whole life and is very task-driven and oriented. And so you have to come, and this is what I learned from living overseas, you've got to take the time to drink the tea. My dad taught me a lesson one time, and this has gone. This goes into working with pastors, is that um, every every time he flew through an, a certain airport in India, he would stop and have tea with the head of the airport. He never asked him for anything. He never tried to sell him anything. But every time he was there for a layover, he would say, "Is my friend so and so here?" And they would find him and, oh, yes, come to his office. And they would sit down and they would have tea and they would just chat. Then one day my dad was in the area and they had declared a shoot on site curfew and people were trying to get out and they were trying to evacuate. I mean, to the point that the, the airport was mobbed. And one time my dad had to stand against the wall in order to avoid being crushed. And he was there trying to get out and there were no tickets available. And then one of the guys from the airport saw him and said, oh, you know, your friend wants to see you and pulled him out and then took him up to the head of the airport's place. And they sat down and they had tea. And my dad didn't expect that he'd be going anywhere soon. So he just enjoyed tea with his friend like he had for a while. And then all of a sudden the man said, do you need to get out of the country? And my dad goes, well, yeah, but it'll probably take a little while. And he reached in his desk and he pulled out a ticket and he said, this is the last ticket out on the flight to the country that I know you live in. Mm. It's for you, my friend. The power of relationship cannot be denied. And we have to understand relationships take time to build. They take lots of coffee. They take care and genuine care and concern for people. And when you take the time to build that relationship, then doors begin to open 
And you've now also, by the way, built the relational credibility to support the stress that change and seeing movement will have um, and that it will put on the organization and relationship. Because now when you run into a problem, it's not like I just met you and now go away. It's now you're my friend and you're gonna, I know you're going to be there to help me think it through. And pastors need to know that because by and large, they're very lonely. And they stick out out there and many, and many, many, many are not supported properly. And we have to have that understanding when we're approaching that relationship from the beginning, that this is a man or a woman who's trying to do their best to lead God's people, the direction that he or she feels called and is, is uh, often uh, isolated in that leadership. Yeah. I would just add to that, you know, not every pastor situation is the same, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending on what denomination they're in or how their church is structured. I mean, there's a very real, like, I have a job to do (laughs) an expectation, which I loved. I watched you guys, Rebecca and Paul work through that with some of the churches in San Diego. What are your, what are are the expectations of you? Because we don't want to do anything that's going to get you fired. Right. Right. And so I think again, but it goes back to the relational piece. Tell me about what, what's it like to be the pastor at the first street church of Jesus? You know, like, <laughs> what's, what's it like? What do, you, what do you have to do? What's, and again, it goes back to, uh, I think oftentimes think in ministry, we make a mistake of, of getting to the, to the point too fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what's been going on in the ministry. And I, when I sit down with people I've discipled for a long time or mentored, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. How's, how's life? How's your wife? How's your marriage? Mm-hmm. How are your kids? You know, because we're not just pastors. We have family, we're family, we have families, we're husbands, you know, we have all sorts of things going on. And to hear someone go, well, tell me about your kids. I mean, I love to talk about my kids. So you've, you've won some points with me right there already. So uh, relational is key. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's why we actually begin every coaching call with like, hey, just quick catch up. What's what's happened the past two weeks? How are you doing? And with some people, we have to be like, no ministry. You know, that that's later. We talk about, you know, uh-huh. those things. Just tell us like the other parts of your life, you know, what is it? But see, that's indicative of the Christian life we've created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that it's, it's been transactional. It's and, been transactional. And, and that's, that's what happens is like, how are you doing? Well, you know, I did my prayer calendar today. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, how are you? Because uh, again, w- we get to the brass tacks too fast. Well, and that requires some vulnerability too, right? Uh Because I'm not just going, if I, if I ask you to share with me and I don't offer anything in, in, in return relationally, then it's an interrogation. It's not a relationship. It's me finding that information I can use as bridges to sell you what I want. It's still sales. It's still transactional, but to come through and say, oh, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, I have three kids too. And, you know, I'm struggling with this one on this, or we're looking at doing this thing with this one, or, you know, I can, I could totally understand that. And so 
you are offering to be vulnerable and they have an opportunity if they choose to be vulnerable back. And it's in that moment of vulnerability and sharing that common history that the, the seeds of relationship are planted. And, and it comes down to seeing that, I think this comes down to another thing we talk about all the time, we're talking about lost people, is do you see them as a person created by God? Or do you see them as a, another project? That's mm-hmm. right. And if you take your pastor and you look at them and say, wow, they have a history, then it's huge. Um, I attend a village church in, in Beaverton, Oregon, and it's a multicultural, multi-generational church focused on, on doing the will of God. And my pastor is from Korea. And I was sitting in service. We're not close. He knows me by name and my, by face. And, but I was sitting in service and he goes, I want to thank you guys so much for giving me a month off. My family is living in Australia and in Korea, and I haven't seen them for years. Hmm. And all of a sudden I went, oh my goodness, here's a man who is in the United States serving this church, has served it for years before he became senior pastor. And he's given up his family to do that in a culture where family is everything. And that helped me love him more in that moment and connect with him more. And now next time I see him, you know, when he comes back and we like, can we go out to coffee and just, you tell me about your family. Cause that, that was fascinating. And, and I just, I just want to hear more of that. You know, guys, from what I've been hearing for, you know, as the things are saying, you know, first off, when you go in to talk to a pastor, you need to, in your mind, be thinking this is an individual to empathize with their struggles to not come with a big stick to beat them or to come with just your agenda in mind. Like I just got to give my spiel and see if they respond or not, you know? So you come with that mentality of this is a, this is a person and you sit and you ask them, you know, tell me your story. Tell me the story of your church. What are the important things that God's showing you and moving your heart with when it comes to that? And from that, you can, you can, glean like from what they're saying connection points to where God is sharing and showing with you and and see where those connect and you can point those connection points because the the, again if we bring it back into the relationship it's this is what this is who we are as people and how can we be able to Venn diagram fit together and what God is trying to do, you know, so guys moving from some initial, you know, talking points there and maybe into more how to communicate what are some of the important pieces to communicate to pastors, you know, I already have a few. And so I'm going to call out a couple of, of topic headings and let's, let's, let's react to it. So this one was already kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, which is discipleship versus evangelism or even what discipleship is uh, <laughs> you know i think we already said it's like you know we can't even a lot of times agree on what does discipleship mean and i know that you know as guys as we've been you know even talking now i know a lot of us as we've talked to pastors and things about this there's you know usually they consider evangelism as this very separate thing than what they predominantly do as a church and when their minds would just discipleship. So first off, what are some of the things that you feel like, you know, you've come across with that and how do you start explaining it differently? Let's start with you, Michael. 
Um, well, you know, I learned this term from you guys, but discovery evangelism um, was a big thing for me um, because, listen, I've done every evangelism there is <laughs> from open air preaching to street ministry to are you 100% sure? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Roman Road, what, you know, <laughs> I've done it all. You know, betting um, in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, well, the power evangelism, where we go out and we pray for people and, you know, listen, I've seen fruit from all those things. And I'm, and I, I think one of the things when you're talking to pastors is to be careful of, you know, just like sticking a fork in those things are done. I, I prefer to talk about, okay, well, again, I've done those things. I didn't see the fruit that I thought I should see, but in learning discovery evangelism, I found out something, man, it changes what success is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in evangelism, I think your success is, hey, I get to tell them about Jesus. But uh, you often leave those meetings with nothing happening, maybe something Mm -hmm. happening, but you definitely leave with, what what happened to that person? (laughs) (laughs) And so I tell people now evangelism is, Hey, I'm talking to the barista at Starbucks mm-hmm. every Monday that I go in there and I haven't said anything about Jesus yet. Mm. I, I'm just discovering things about her or him because, uh, you know, I, I, Paul used this example several times in San Diego. It's like walking up to someone and go, Hey, I got this friend over here. I think you two should get married and uh, we can do that. You know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I can do that for you. Like the next 30 <laughs> minutes. So I think that's the approach evangelism. We're coming mm-hmm. to tell them something much more important, even the marriage yes. of like giving your life to Christ, which, Hey, listen, we all know salvation is free, but it costs you everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and as we discover things about people's life, we're letting them discover Jesus for themselves. And just by becoming a friend <laughs> and, you know, to Paul's point about his dad's friend with the T like, he was just there being a friend and they, they start seeing, well, something's different about this person or, you know, you, things come up in conversation. So changing the success point of a gospel presentation or even mentioning Jesus as that success versus, Hey, I got out of my walls today. I got out of my own little world. And I went and mm-hmm. talked to Rebecca, the, the, the barista over at Starbucks. And I found out she's going to school because she wants to work for NASA. Well, that's pretty cool. Oh, and you know, uh, <laughs> it's probably going to be a little high level. I need to go do some research if I'm going to talk to this person <laughs> over and over again and learn about, you know, NASA. And mm-hmm. um, so it, it flips the evangelism piece from being, oh, you go out and do a gospel presentation to you still go out, but you're just getting to know this person because we want to see lasting fruit. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Michael, to that point of what you're saying is that evangelism then goes from like a campaign that you do or this certain activity that is completely separate from life, which is what they perceive discipleship is. It's about life and how you do life. Well, now we start connecting those things together that no evangelism is part of life 
-hmm. And so it's not the separate thing done by either this elite team or at certain times that go out like, you know, a, a SWAT team into the, into the community. It's, it's now, it's part of how we do life. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that, um, one of the things that I have learned is I'm not trying to convince them of my definitions uh, for these terms. I just yeah. look at them and say, I want you to know that when I'm talking, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't and I even say when I'm talking, I don't see evangelism and discipleship as being different. That every disciple will be involved in sharing the stories that they're they're learning from the Bible with people who don't know it and with people who do. That's part of what we're supposed to be doing in and out of season is sharing just those simple stories, not memorizing a presentation. And so, rather than you know, nobody really likes to be convinced. Nobody likes that process. If, if they're not near there already, they don't like it. And so what I just do is say, hey, when I'm talking about this, this is what I mean. I think going back to even beginning how you began the, the question of approaching and, and, and um, talking with pastors and setting up even that, relate, that, that conver- initial conversation of looking at them and going, hey, can we have coffee? Um, you've been preaching about the Great Commission and everything for a while, and I've found some things that are helping me do what you've been preaching about. And I w- just want to share it with you. And, and that's a great way to open up a coffee, make it more relational, saying, hey, this is what I found. It's helping me do. And I'd, it helps me do what you've been preaching about and teaching us from the word. Can I meet with you like every so often and just give you an update as to what God is doing through me and with me as we're going along? And what that does is it makes that more relational. They don't feel like they're being sold. You're respecting them and their authority. And then when they preach on something that overlaps with what you're doing, you can go, oh, pastor, I remember last Wednesday, you talked about how prayer was so important. I found a tool that's really helping me do this. And this is how it's affecting my life. This is the fruit that it's happening. Thank you so much for preaching on that thing. And that comes around and makes it much more relational. It'll take a bit of time. But let me just tell you, pastors are always looking for, for handles to help their people be more obedient to what they're doing. And if they see over time that is present in you, then they're more willing to come along. But So don't, don't try to convince them on, on a definition and, and don't sit there and try to, to force them to do what you're doing, but just sit there and, and share with them like you would a friend. Well, I think, I think that, you know, um, kind of building off of what you're saying um, in, in there uh, and also what I heard Michael say, and to a certain extent, yeah, we're not trying to, you know, shove something down someone's throat, but at the same time, we are helping them see a new definition of discipleship is, isn't once a person is saved, how do they just live life a bit better with God. It's, it's helping them realize that evangelism is a part of obedience. And right. so therefore, if they're going to be true disciples of Christ, they have, that's part of the package. In fact, I even remember hearing you say that in, in a meeting just recently, Paul, to a pastor where it's like, you know, uh, the pastor looked at us and was like, well, admittedly, you guys are better at the evangelism part than the rest of the disciple, than the deci- rest of the discipleship that I've been doing. And, you know, and, and basically you're, you're saying, well, it's like, well, you know, evangelism 
is, is a part of discipleship because we're helping people know how to, you know, true disciple of Christ makes disciples of people who don't know him. And so therefore, you know, we're not sectioning off this piece of obedience over here and then all the, and we'll do all the rest of the obedience and that, but that's over here, well, you know, and- type of thing. And to that point is what I try to do in those moments is I don't want to be put into the, into their box or pigeonholed into their understanding mm-hmm. um, because that's what they, we try to do with people, right? Is categorize them real quick so that we know when we're talking to this person. This is what it's about and this person. And this is what it's about. And it helps us to and humans do this naturally. So I find that, that a lot of times they hear just enough that they either want to put me into a category or a box. And I just look at them and I go, well, I hear what you're saying and I can understand where you're coming from, but this is actually what I believe about that. And so I don't accept the box that they're trying to put me in. But once again, I, I come back to that place of this is what I see. And this is who I am. I don't see discipleship and evangelism as being separate. I see both discipleship, making disciples and helping people fall in love with Jesus as commands given to the entire body of Christ. And if we're not doing that, then we're really disciples. So I come back to my definition and I help them see it and they can go, oh, okay, that's different. Because otherwise what ends up happening is, is that oh, this is something that I do with this one team that I have off to the side that are my evangelist team that, you know, that I can use as opposed to this is something that I do to disciple the majority of my people. Like this is a part of the entire process when it comes to this kind of thing. So it's like you were saying, Paul, it's it's important not to be pigeonholed into something Uh, regard to that yeah so along those lines next topic guys that we can be able to do so but you know uh that again it comes to understanding i think it goes along with this we talked about not blowing up the church but another common picture thread that i think is close to right but not quite right that a lot of (laughs) churches try to grasp hold is that this is just a stream a side tributary of what our church is trying to do, that this is just this side thing that we're trying to do with this entire church, which what we're trying to say is, you know, the difference between that and a hub isn't just like, well, there's a few people who are going to try to go out there and evangelize. And that, so therefore it's going to be the stream is that eventually this becomes it's the center. It's a, it's the main thrust of what your, your church is about, um, in this. So, so let's, let's, uh, open that up as a, a topic, you know, the, the stream concept, how do we help them get past that? What is the things behind that? What I always share with people is this became a part of what we were doing as a church because I started doing it. Mm. I became a practitioner. And I, I think that's, the whole idea of it's just going to be a stream because, because you're right, that can just become another, just like the evangelism team was. It's just, this is just the disciple people over here. Um, but when I became a practitioner, I started doing the things um, that uh, a, a disciple does to become reproductive. And um, what I found out was like, whoa, this 
actually helps with every aspect of church, like what I'm getting people to try to do. Hey, we need people to serve. Oh, well, here's these passages. I've read this passage. Well, if we believe this is from God, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So yeah. um, it didn't become, you know, as I'm walking through and then inviting people onto the journey, it, in, it you know, sort of filters out into the body of Christ that I'm at my local church. And um, I think that's, that's the, really the, to me as a pastor, the best way to look at this, because it's not, it's not just going to be something you can just preach from the pulpit and then you see any kind of success, mm-hmm. but uh, it will also definitely help with just making discipleship, just another side thing that we're doing. You know, the, the church follows their leadership. And if, and so the things that God is working and massaging and kneading into the pastor's heart and life, they, those things direct the entire church. Mm -hmm. Um, And, 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 and so if disciple making isn't needed into the heart of that Mm -hmm. pastor, Mm -hmm. then they, the church will, will, it'll always be a program or a separate stream. Mm -hmm. And we can work with that. Um, and we can, we can talk about ways to bring it in and to, to get it into that place. But I, I have from experience of, of working with church leaders and organizational leaders that if they do not practice, if they always come from a place of, I will then tell others to do, then whatever it is that they're not practicing won't work. Like I've been, I've worked with a, a pastor of a church for a while who for various reasons struggles to engage, engage the lost. And he's been working with his church for a while to get them to become disciple makers. But guess where all of his, his church now struggles. They all struggle to meaningfully engage the lost. Mm -hmm. And he's not able to help equip them because there's no, it's a, a lot of, this is what scripture says, and this is what you should do, but they're not seeing the example from his heart and his life that they then are inspired by and want to follow and want to imitate. And consequently, you know, their, their disciple making efforts locally are dead in the water because, because it's not there. So I think the, the short answer that to, to summarize what Michael and I are saying is, the best way for it not to be a stream is for the pastor to say, I'm going to begin doing these things as well and live this out because as they do, it will change their heart and it will, it will start to infect everything through the stories they tell and what they're now passionate about and what God is doing through those experiences. I, I, I totally agree with that, Paul. That's why more and more when we are working with churches, you know, they, again, they try to, to pitch it. They try to put us into a category I, you know, we talked to a head pastor and saying, so glad to talk to you. Why don't I want you to go have ongoing coaching with our missions pastor, or maybe we given as far as the discipleship pastor or something, or the small groups pastor, but we're like, Hey, we need to talk to the, the teaching pastor, the worship leaders, you know, we need to have everybody who is leading this church to be a part of learning how to do this. So, and, and, and the thing is, is as we help, but Paul, you and I help churches. Yes, it starts with fewer and then it works out from there, but, you know, do this. Okay. So last thing for us to, to quickly touch on is I think this is another big thing of, of, of uh, shifting of understanding is taking the things that we're saying 
to just adapt them to make what they're doing that that their church better. So in other words, like I want to, oh, this is a church, a new thing I could take to help grow my church or to help make church life that ex- already exists in my church better. You know, Paul and I, I think you remember that somebody took the conversation quadrant that's meant to develop relationships with unbelievers says, I am so glad that I learned this. I now I'm getting to know the people in my church better because of the conversation quadrant. And we're like, wait, what? That's, that's for lost people. (laughs) And, and, or like they, they're, they have this idea like, oh, great. They'll have these conversations with people and then they'll bring them to church with them. You know? So they have this idea that, you know, oh, I, I know that you said, I just adapted and tweaked it. And we just love how that it's that this tool has just helped us be better first Baptist church or first assembly church or first Presbyterian church kind of thing. So how do we, how do, what do we say to those particular situations? Well, I would say again, you know, using these principles to disciple people within your church is fine, but you, you really have to start saying to yourself, what am I trying to do as a pastor? I am trying to equip people for the work of the ministry. And to your point, Rebecca, is we have a lot of people who are, hey, we got to reach the lost, but we don't have a whole lot of how do we reach the lost. Yeah. And, and that's the, when I talk across all kinds of church spectrums with pastors or just, uh, you know, believers that are attending local churches, like, yeah, my pastor says we need to do this. I just never hear how to do this. Mm-hmm. So when we begin to practice it and use these tools as a way to teach our people to get out among the lost, again, we're not, hey, if our go-to is invite them to church, mm-hmm. then everything depends on me as the pastor, uh, you know, being around, having to do, mm-hmm. that's not equipping anyone. That's people bringing other people to me. Mm-hmm. No, I want to train you to go out and advance yes. the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And look, I get we want to build our church, but the thing is, Jesus said he would build his church. Mm-hmm. So what I think you'll find, though, is as you start doing this, your church will grow because people are out among the community. They're having discovery Bible studies. They're talking to people. And then, you know what? Guess what? People still come to your church sometimes. But that's not the focus. I'm trying to equip my people to reach the lost because I want to see the kingdom expanded. And I think when we get out of that mentality, of I'm trying to build just my church. No, Jesus will build his church and we're called to be obedient to what he's told us to do. And we want to see our cities changed. Mm. And we're only going to do that by training and equipping our people to go out because, you know, if a revival comes, there's not enough seats in our cities to house the loss that are living in our cities. Absolutely. So we have to get out. So, and I think that's really the, the key heart of it, Michael, is we get people out of the vision of I'm just called to these people and saying, no, we're called to expand. We're, we're told to multiply. And so to me, when that, when, and I told Paul this recently, it's like, if we can just get pastors to grasp hold the vision of how can we build new churches with lost people throughout our community? How can we see that happen and not just make our central one bigger Then mm-hmm. we, then we have something to talk about now because it's, it's now we're going to be multiplying out and how can we reach this entire city? As you're saying, Michael, 
instead of thinking, well, I just want to be able to bring in, you know, like 10, 20 more people each year to my church so that it'll, it'll stay big and healthy and not die off eventually, you know, and stuff like that. Or, or, you know, it's, it's now like, how do I reach all these people? And I now have that vision instead of just how do I hang back here? So, so I have to believe, I mean, just to, to wrap things up, on this topic and, and maybe for the podcast um the scripture says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and mm. all these things shall be added unto you Amen. and the way that and the way that i count my faith is faith is obeying the commands of christ regardless of the consequences whether good or bad mm. i obey christ because i believe that no matter what i can see with my own eyes or i perceive with my own my own mind that Christ has something that is beyond that. And if I will just do what he says, if I will equip my people to go out and not even worry really about, you know, that they're going to come to me or, or this is going to grow or that, if I can just do that, then Christ will take care of all the rest. In fact, mm. I believe that when we step out on faith and expand the kingdom, the way that he has promised us to, that he has told us to do so, that what he will give us in return will far exceed anything that we can imagine or think about. And so then all of a sudden I can hold what I have loosely and say, oh, it was given to me anyway. And, and, as, I, and as I am proven faithful by my obedience, my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords will seek to give me far more than I can imagine and take me down paths that I never thought I would go down. All right, I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing, and we're here with our friend Michael Dorsett, and it's been great talking with all of you on this podcast. I hope that it's been helpful for you. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. Make sure that you take the time right after you're done listening to go over to iTunes or the Google Store or wherever you listen to it and like, share, rate, write a review. Do it. It, it both encourages us and it helps other people know that what you found helpful about this podcast. And until next time, go and make disciples. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast and supporting us on Patreon. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app. Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple makers.